Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club Podcast. My name is Eric Pfeiffer and I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda. Hi everyone. And Jesse. Hey guys. We are going to be talking all about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, written by Delilah S. Dawson, who will also be joining us later on this episode to discuss her work on the book, which is pretty awesome, so... Thanks in advance to Delilah for uh, joining us on this episode. So guys, I'm very excited to talk about this because the book came out like literally a day, two days before I left to go to um, Galaxy's Edge, the opening in Florida. And um, I had returned from there and then we started this book for the book club for the month of September. So the timing could not have been more perfect. I'm sure it wasn't an accident on their part, but we'll get your guys' reactions first. So, Jesse, we'll start with you. What do you think of this book? I just thought this book was so much fun. I enjoyed it from cover to cover, audiobook to audiobook, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, I just, it was just such a good, action packed, like adventure story. And it gave us so much insight into what Galaxy's Edge was going to be like. And I just felt like so much more deeper into some, in some areas of Star Wars lore in general. So I just loved it. What about you, Amanda? I could not have loved this book more, if I'm being completely honest. This might be my favorite book that we've read so far with the Twin Suns Outpost Book Club. Everything from the details that they put in regarding uh, Batu and things that are actually present in the parks to the storylines, the characters. I loved Vi and Archex, and I loved all the character development. I thought that they did such a great job keeping me on the edge of my seat through the entire book, and I couldn't put it down. I really couldn't. Yeah. I loved it as well, and we'll talk a little bit more as we get through our show. Um about the comparisons between what we see in the book and what we get in the park because I think that is a unique thing. It's not something that we've really gotten before so I definitely want to take a little bit of time and discuss that but let's talk about the book itself first and just kind of like where we are with this book. Um, if you have not read it, be aware that we are going to be talking about spoilers but this is is uh, a great tie-in with how everything from... The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi kind of fit together. Most of the book actually happens after The Last Jedi, but the first couple chapters are the prologue, and I think they're really cool. They talk about Leia leaving for Takodana in these prologue chapters, which is pretty awesome. Um, and actually, Leia says something in the prologue chapters about 
um, when she's talking to Vi about going on this uh, mission to like the edge of wild space or the edge of the galaxy. She's like, you're not the only person that's being sent out to nowhere. That's what Leia says to Vi, and that really made me think about Poe, you know, and how Jakku is like nowhere, and Poe's on a mission, and things like that. So I really like how Delilah adds things like that to this novel. But what I didn't realize is that this is actually a sequel to Phasma, and I haven't read Phasma, neither have you, Amanda. Nope. But these characters were already in a book, and I'm kind of kicking myself for, one, not realizing that, and two, not having read Phasma before this. So, Jesse, being somebody that has read Phasma, what was it like for you to kind of, like, get re-involved with these characters? And, like, how does this book fill the role of Vi's future? Yeah, you know, what's funny is that I didn't realize it either until the until Vi started talking about it. And when we were talking about reading this book, we kept saying like, oh, yeah, the Vi Marathi, she's, you know, the main character, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept thinking about it before we had started the book. I was like, this character sounds familiar. Where have where has this character come into play before? She's got to be mentioned somewhere. And then mm-hmm. as soon as, you know, Vi starts like introducing herself and talking about her past, I was like, oh, my God this is Phasma. And I got all excited all over again. And it was just really, really cool to have both of these characters back. You know, I hadn't read Phasma in a really long time. And for people who haven't read Phasma, and you feel like maybe you've been a little bit spoiled, I would definitely say still, still read it. Because like this was maybe, you know, you got you got Vi and, and Cardinals, you know, end to their story. But Phasma's story just on its own is just so cool and I just highly recommend um, if you're into Phasma at all you think she's really cool just that's it just fleshes out her character so 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 much I love that book Um, and I loved everything about Phasma but this made me appreciate all the stuff that at the time reading Phasma I was kind of like oh I don't really know if I care about these other characters Vi and Cardinal like I just want to know about Phasma Mm -hmm. but this kind like this really made me love Vi and love our checks, formerly known as Cardinals, so much more. I'm so glad we got them back, and we got so many little Phasma references um, with Vi and her knitting needles. She mentions those a lot in Phasma, so I thought that was really cute. I had a, I have a coworker that he was reading the book with us for the book club, and when we found out that that Phasma contained some of the same characters, um, he listens through the audiobooks, and he just goes through them so fast. I mean, he. I think he finished Phasma in like a couple days or something. Like it was less than a week. But he went back and listened to Phasma. And was like, yeah, um, it was really awesome having already known what happened. But at the same time, like you go back and then you get a ton more information and everything just matches up so well. Um, and again, it's the same author. So I think, you know, that creates a, a sense of, of uh, connection as well with that. So that was pretty awesome. It was the same um, voice actress, January Lavoie. So that was really cool because as soon as she started talking, I recognized her voice from the Phasma novel. So it was cool that like Vi got her exact same voice back. Yeah. And what's cool is you can go to Galaxy's Edge and you can see Vi. Like, it's just awesome. Um, And she's in character and, and they're great. So... Uh, we do get a lot of new characters in this. So we mentioned, you know, Vi Marathi and Archex. 
formerly known as Captain Cardinal, were in other books, and we do have a little bit of Leia in very small segments in this novel as well. But we do get some really cool, new, interesting characters that I really like a lot. One of them being Pook, who is the PK Ultra worker droid, who's just absolutely hilarious and makes me laugh all the time. Creaky, Salju, Dolan, Elena, Oga, Savi. Oga and Savi, they have areas uh, within the Galaxy's Edge Park, the cantina and the workshop. We get Kath, who is just ruthless and pretty crazy. And then Zade, who um, I think was a very (laughs) interesting part of the story, for sure. But I guess we'll go with you, Amanda. Tell us a little bit about, like, some of these characters and and how they captured your heart or not at all. (laughs) Like Kat. Oh, I hate him so much. (laughs) There is just, like, burning passionate hatred for Kath because he's kind of just, like, this monster. He's horrible, and he does not care, and he won't die, and I don't understand why he won't die. (laughs) Like, literally, I'm like, oh my gosh, can you just kick the bucket already? Like, I'm No redeeming qualities. No, he was terrible. No sense of humor, nothing interesting, just like, murder, murder, murder. But he's a bad guy, doesn't that mean he was a good bad guy? But he wasn't even, no, like, a dimensional because... bad guy. He was just like, I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> he's the umbrage of bad guys. Like, yes! you just can't like him at all. You can't even be like, oh, he was cool. Like, no, you're not. It's You're not cool. Like, Kylo's cool. Like, Vader, cool. This guy is not cool. They're dimensional, and they have these great backstories, and he's just, like, sucky and irritating and awful. Sorry, was I guess, that too I, blunt? No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel like Kath was like somebody that I totally hated, but I felt like he was a villain, and he is somebody that makes you hate him because he's so evil and because he's bad and because he's a part of the First Order and he wants power and that was his job. Like he works and communicates directly with Hux, who expects results and you know not that i would ever want to view kath as like a role model in any way shape (laughs) or form but like i feel like he served his purpose as a villain i guess oh yeah but he was just one of those like like just like and it's not that he's like a bad character like i'm not like knocking like the writing or the character or anything it's just like it's just one of those that you you don't even like love to hate them like you just like (laughs) you hate hate them them. (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) well i found that this book was very descriptive with um the torture and you know that's something that we talked a lot about on our book club discussions on facebook in the group and about overcoming you know, being tortured and and Mm -hmm. being broken. And we obviously didn't read Phasma, but there's a lot of references to Vi and her injuries. Same with Archex and, you know, the injuries that, that they both suffered from that book. But, you know, in this one, the torture is so descriptive. Like, Vi will say something snarky to Kath, and then the next word, literally, just reading it, is crack. And um, she gets nailed right in the face multiple times. And I think it's good writing. And 
it's different reading it versus listening to it. And I was talking to that uh, coworker of mine who had listened to it, and he said you can actually like hear the punches in the in the audio. Yeah, I was gonna say there were a couple parts in those torture scenes because I listened to the audiobooks because you can you know she does like the voice where it like sounds like she's like being beat up and she progressively sounds like more and more hurt and it. You can hear the like the punches and like everything and like there was one, a, a part where I did I had to pause it like I got a little sick to my stomach <laughs> I'll be honest like I don't know I, I mean it's like I'm already like one of those people that just like empathizes so much and like when I watch a movie like I feel every emotion so like that was like too much for me like it was great writing but like I had to pause it for a minute yeah. it was yeah. a lot <laughs> it's just I think the best word for it is it's explicit yeah. If it was a TV show, it would be at least N or not NC, but it would be at least like TV fourteen or something. Yeah, it was all the eyeball stuff. That, like, oh gosh, the hooks really in the eyes. Me. Yeah, that honestly, I, I cringed a whole lot. I had to get up for a second because I like it makes you physically uncomfortable because you can imagine it so well. I just kept pressing on my eyes, and I was, like, driving, <laughs> so <laughs> danger Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some other characters that are a little bit more uh, positive, I guess, or at least invoke more of a positive feeling. So we get Elena, uh, who works for Savi as a gatherer, and we get uh, Zaid, and Dolan, who are both play primary roles. So we also get uh, Creaky. So what do you guys think of these characters? I absolutely love Creaky. She made me so happy. And her, you know, getting out of um, a an abusive workplace and just the way that Vi was able to build her up and how she found her bravery. I feel like she was kind of the heart of our little pack of resistors. Yeah. She was just they, good. She was like everything for them. They couldn't have gotten anywhere. No. Near as far as they got without her. She kind of saved everyone. Yeah. I really like her. I really like Dolan. I think he'll be pretty cool. Um, it was took a lot for him to kind of leave what he was used to in his whole life. You know, he stayed on this like village or whatever he was at and he had never seen anyone other than humans. I mean, he was pretty sheltered, it seemed like, his whole life. And to take that step was was pretty cool. And, you know, we talk about or we, we heard that uh, he was pretty good with the crank bikes and things like that. And, and uh, Vi potentially talking about him being a pilot in the resistance at some point. So who knows? Maybe we'll get that in nine. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um Elena loved her, and of course, Oga and Savi, I just connected with them a lot just because I've been to their places. Like, I've been to Savi's workshop, so you can picture it and you can see him in your mind there. And same thing with Oga and um, the location of her cantina, and like, you just feel like you've been at the places that are being described. So, I love that. And I really, I loved Elena a lot, even though she wasn't mentioned, you know, as much as all the other characters, but she said like a lot of really cool and interesting things about the force that I feel Mm -hmm. like weren't really talked about when it comes to like people outside of, you know, the Jedi or like a force sensitive person. And 
I just thought it was really interesting the way she talked about how the force works through basically the average person and she kept saying that Vi has like a gleam right mm-hmm. and and she also kind of like explained Vi's like ability to detect whether all these people were good people or not like she like she was always just kind of taking a leap of faith with these people but at the same time she also like just always would say like I just have a good feeling about this person I can just tell that this is a good person and Alina like kind of addressed that at one point saying that you like don't have to be force sensitive to be like a part of it or for it to attract be attracted to you like we're all a part of it I just thought that was cool let's talk about this now because I don't know if I necessarily believe that Vi is force sensitive. No, I don't um, either. But there has been some discussion uh, amongst some people that have read the book that she could be, but could the ancients have been force sensitive? Or, like, let's take a look at, at what some of these things in this book are related to the force. So, Jesse, you talked about the gleam, and I have it written down here uh, straight out of the book that. The gleam is when the force takes a shine to someone, it's almost like an aura. So the force is sort of acting as an aura around a certain person. This necklace that Vi finds in the ruins, right? These ethereal gems. It was an ancient artifact that pulses with power and it specifically calls to Vi, but it also repels her at the same time. So is that some work of the force? Is this something that the ancients had created? Or how does that work? Vi also finds two kyber crystals in the canteen uh, while she's working at, at Savi's scrapyard. At one point, Elena wants to give, it seems like, at least in, to me, in chapter 36, Elena's talking to Savi about it was like implied. And you guys can tell me if you also felt like it was implied that Elena wanted to give them lightsabers. Like it, it was almost like she wanted to give them lightsabers and Savi was like, no, we can't do that. We, you know, Oga has forbid us to take a part in the war or whatever. And there are some things that are just meant to stay as they are and whatever. And uh, they end up like providing blasters, but not mm-hmm. lightsabers. I definitely think that Elena had full intention of supplying them with some uh, force weapons. Mm-hmm. And I think that she definitely had, if not lightsabers, something um, more primitive, but along the same lines as... And she wanted to give them a leg up. But then she, you know, Savvy decided that she could, that that would be too much involvement. But he did let her buy that whole truck of blasters. So that was good. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. She was she was going to give them something like that, like lightsabers and, and try to really turn the tide for them. But going back to what you said about the artifact... The necklace that Vi found. I feel like when we're thinking about the ancient ones, like I just, I always think about Chira Inwe and the Guardians of the Wills, and I just like people who aren't necessarily force sensitive, but seem to somehow just like their belief in it allows them to connect to it, mm-hmm. not in like the same way that like the Jedi or a force user would, but like. Like, I, they can feel it. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. they just, like, know yeah. it's there. And they're, like, I don't want to use 
the word sensitive to it, but they're they're very much like aware of like a real like tangible thing. Like I feel like they can actually feel it, and it's not just like a belief. Maybe you know, tuned to it. Yeah, like it, like an aura. They have they the gleam. Sense, yeah, yeah, they can sense the aura. Like, yeah, I just, I just feel like it's more like that. Yeah, I can see that. That that makes sense. So I don't know. It, it the way that they, the way that Delilah left the book made it seem like there could be more. There could be another story for Vi to continue on, or maybe she just wanted to lead it up to what we experience when we go to Galaxy's Edge. You know, we've got. Kylo Ren kind of coming and searching for her with his 709th uh, troopers and we've got Vi running around uh, Black Spire Outpost and maybe the point was just to lead up to that. I don't know. But Vi is still around so maybe we'll get more. I definitely think that it was intentionally left open-ended so that we, Star Wars willing, can get another book maybe focusing on a different character for the next part of the journey. I'd love to see Dolan pop up again. Yes, yeah. I want to see, see him and Elena. <laughs> yeah, oh, I that like, made me so about happy. Them. I was like, yes, he got a girlfriend. So cute, <laughs> little little Star Wars Amish boy, right? <laughs> All right, one major thing that happened in this book is that Vi gets ratted out to the First Order. Somebody snitched on her. She's there. She's on the planet. We don't really ever get a flat-out sentence or, or confirmation or anything like that of anyone who was the snitch. Uh, but somebody ratted out Vi and her presence with the Resistance uh, to the First Order on Batu. A couple options. Uh, Rusko was one because he works for Oga, and he was there with Oga during their conversations uh, with Vi. And at the end, we see him with Kath and the First Order as well. Dottie was one that was was always skeptical and kind of like almost made Vi's like attempts to recruit people as into like a joke. One person that stuck out to me, Salju, and this is somebody that I was kind of skeptical from, from the beginning, like one of Vi's uh, first, I guess, quote-unquote friends that she meets when she gets to Batu. On page 68 in the hardcover book, Vi asks Salju to join the resistance, but Salju refuses, saying that Batu is her home and you know she's not gonna ever like leave. And this is this is what her job is to work at like this fueling station or whatever it is. And Salju also interacts with Kath when he arrives, and uh, she points Kath to Oga's upon their arrival at Black Spire Outpost. So. To me, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think, but I'm kind of leaning towards Salju, but I could also see Rusko. I don't think it's Salju at all. I feel like I have faith in, like, Vi's ability to sense goodness in people, and I just feel like Salju's, like, a very pure little, like, soul that just, just wants to keep her head down and, like, be just live her life and not get involved. So I don't see why she would. I always think about, I can't remember if this happened before or after, Cry Kai's um, boss. Goal. Did that happen? Yeah, did that happen after? Oh yeah, that she was, was way after. Out? That was way after, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't was... have been him. No. Yeah. 
I feel like, yeah, Rusko makes a lot of sense to me, but Salju, I, ca- I just can't see it. Yeah, I think I'm with Jesse on this one with uh, Rusko, especially because we did see him essentially joining the First Order's fight at the end of it. I think he thought that there was something in it for him, maybe, and if Oga wasn't going to have his back on it, the First Order surely would, and he'd get his cut. But here's my thing with that, and I guess it could be someone else, but think about what happened at the end of the book. So Rusko goes boom, because he's on the ship that explodes, and I guess it's like four months later, the epilogue, that's when... The First Order comes back. They realize that Vi's still around, so someone snitched on her again. Whether that's a brand new character or someone that has been around that Mm -hmm. is not Rusko because he's a flambéed shark. You know, so who knows? Or they recovered something from the, the shipwreck. They could have recovered something that took a while to decrypt. Like, what if the plane was bugged? Or the ship. What if the ship was bugged? What if they could, like, it had a black box like airplanes do, and it took them a while to decode it. Or to de-encrypt it. Encrypt it, yeah. That thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's another one. And then they would have heard Archex and Kath's conversation and known that Vi was still alive. So I think that's another option that we haven't explored. I also thought that maybe they're just, like, suspicious of the whole thing. Like... You know, there was this convenient message Mm -hmm. that was relayed to them saying, it's all good, you guys don't need to come down here, or it's all good down here, and then the ship explodes. Like, even though that's, like, the smartest thing they could have done at the time, like, there's really not much more they could have done to try to cover what they had going on down there, but... But then why would it take four months for them to come by? Maybe they were busy, I don't know, Kylo (laughs) Ren's a busy guy. What was going on at that point? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, everything is run by a gangster, and this is, you know, Oga. And there's sort of that, like, rivalry between Doc Ondar and Oga, and Doc Ondar was there first, and he has this whole Doc list or whatever it is. So both of them contain that power on the planet and in the outpost, and there's going to be spies, there's going to be scumbags that come into the, the, the outpost and stuff. While you're at the park, you're referred to as a traveler. So, you know, this is a outpost where travelers come and go and smugglers are in and out. And so it could be some brand new person that we don't know. I'm not sure. But I think it's kind of interesting that we never really like flat out got an answer to that. And that was something that I was wondering about throughout the whole book. So one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, and this is just, uh, it won't spark any conversation or anything, but they talk about how the prices are inflated because they're on the edge of the galaxy and they have to like import all their goods and they're so far out of the way that like that's why things are expensive and stuff. I just thought it was funny because like Disney's literally known for their prices being really high. So like when you go there, you're like, oh my god, yeah, it's expensive, you know. <laughs> oh my god. I just like made that connection when I was reading the book. I was like, yeah. I actually yep. saw someone posting about that yesterday. I think I sent you the picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. Everything's that is expensive. So funny. Yeah. Why is it so expensive? Yeah. Because it's Star Wars land, guys. Come on. <laughs> We're in wild space, guys. What do you expect? Right? Come on, get it together. All right, so I had someone the other day tell me that they don't think that 
the Falcon's going to blow up in Episode Nine because we have it at Galaxy's Edge, which is a fair point, right? It it, it is there, and that's how things are. But mm-hmm. Ray is there also, and Chewbacca is there. So at one point, they had to be there, right? So my question to you guys is, what does the park and the end of the book suggest for the future of Star Wars? Like, do you think that there's just like an end? Because this book, at the end of it, Kylo Ren is coming to Batuu, and I believe that we're not yet at episode nine's beginning at this part, mm-hmm. right? Because at least it doesn't seem like it. We know that Black Spire, the book, is like the end of the book, I believe, was like, what, four months? Is that what it said? Four months? That's when yeah. the epilogue was? And then we know that episode nine is a year after episode eight. So I don't know exactly the span of the book um, as far as like months or whatever, but I feel like we're getting kind of close to the beginning of episode nine. At least that's what it seems like to me. But what do you guys think? Like Kylo Ren's on Batu, Ray and Chewbacca and Hondo are all on Batu at Black Spire Outpost and we have the Falcon there. So what do you guys think? Because Batu is supposed to be canon. You know, you're supposed to, they wanted to keep everything in world and everything legit. How does this bode for, like, the future of Star Wars? And what do you guys think that this means well, for the timeline? I think continuity-wise, Disney can have things in the park that may not necessarily exist at the end of the movie anymore. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that they, they do that all the time. And it doesn't ruin the character integrity of the moment for the interactions with guests or travelers in this park. But I think that that there's definitely room to maybe not assume that everyone survives. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Disney magic. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Ray, her presence there and, like, Chewbacca's presence there feels a little bit different than, like, the Falcon being there. Like, Ray and Chewbacca as, like, characters walking around Disney parks doesn't necessarily seem to me like that means that they in canon were either on Batu. It just seems like a convenient location for them to be to meet guests. It just makes sense that mm-hmm. people will expect them to be there. But the Falcon feels different to me. That's like a structure that is a ride that they've made part of the story of Batu, which is which is generally, you know, in the timeline before episode nine. I would love to see the Falcon make it through. And now this is just wishful thinking because (laughs) am I right in saying that Hondo is like part of the, you know, like line and introduction to getting onto the Falcon, right? Hondo actually runs this, like, I can't remember the actual name of it, but Hondo runs the, the flight station or whatever it is there. Like he is, he, and I, I don't want to ruin the ride for you guys, but he goes with you. Like, he okay. is on the Falcon while you do your mission. So, to me, that would, like, confirm a little bit more in my head. And, and I don't want to know any more about the ride. I'll say that. But, um, but like, that to me feels more like the Falcon will remain, you know, intact. And maybe it will be, you know, get into some somebody else's hands and I would just love personally for like Hondo to have like acquired it like after the whole battle was done he had nothing to do with it and he's like oh look 
a ship and like yeah. <laughs> just like flew it to Batu. Um, that would be cool. See, I was under the impression that Hondo had the Falcon between episode eight and nine, and that's why there's that connection on Batu. It makes perfect sense for Kylo Ren to be there looking for Vimarati with his stormtroopers, which is why he's there. And they actually took him out of Launch Bay, which is where you used to be able to do a meet and greet with Kylo. And they threw Vader back in there because for a long time, Vader wasn't going to do a meet and greet. Now you still can see Kylo like fight the younglings in the Jedi Trials on the normal spot for the youngling training or the Jedi Trials with the other kids in the main part of Hollywood Studios. But I really do feel like they are trying to make this feel like this is something that's in the universe. So Mm -hmm. if Rey never in Star Wars canon goes to Batu. I would be totally shocked. Oh, yeah. Same thing with Chewbacca. Well, I think they might very well end up on Batu at some point. But the park having these characters right now doesn't mean that they can't change the characters to fit where the story is going later. It's not a fixture like the Falcon is. So right. they can evolve the story of the park along with the story of Star Wars, I would think. Right. And there's a certain time period that batu is like if at the end of episode nine batu gets destroyed (laughs) you know or something like that it's just frozen in history at that moment it would be like them like disney creating alderaan and having bail organa doing meet and greets or walking around or something like that you know i mean that existed at one point not anymore, but it existed at one point, and everything they could add to the park could be of that time. You know, so like they wouldn't have a First Order ship there because by the time the First Order was around, it was destroyed or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that it's like frozen in time. Like this is yeah. the timeline that they want a Batu to be, and and this is where it will stay. Like if Ky- like I feel like I'm more worried about like whether or not Kylo or Rey. Yeah. You know, or Chewbacca will die at the end of episode nine. Like, then they definitely won't just like be like, "Oh, well, Ray, you got to go back to Hollywood Studios because you're dead now." <laughs> you're like, kicked out. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. If they needed to, they could though. Like, maybe yeah. maybe Vi could play more of a part on Batu or something. I don't know. Because Ray stays in a certain part. Like, she'll stay where the Resistance stuff is. Like, she doesn't go. At least for me, when I was there, Ray's never by the Falcon at all. Like, you, if you're by the Falcon, you won't see Ray over there. At least that's my experience. But also, like, isn't, like, the whole shtick of Galaxy's Edge kind of, like, Vimerati being there trying to, like, gung-ho recruit people to join the Resistance? Mm-hmm. And, like, I would hope that at the end of Episode Nine we have, like, some kind of, like, resolution where we're not dealing with the first order anymore i hope yeah so like like if it if it like did evolve with however episode nine ends like it, like would that just like put it like would vibarati just be like chilling at the cantina she's <laughs> i don't know like, on vacation i don't know it's <laughs> yeah, a good question maybe maybe everything comes to a close on bad too But it would be so much more fun if it just continued on as like you have you're trying to help the resistance like as being part of the story. So I just feel like it'll stay. Yeah. 
All right, well, uh, we don't want to take too much longer here because we do want to get Delilah on. Um, so we'll kind of uh, speed through the rest of what we want to talk about. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about was just sort of the comparisons between the park and what we get in the book. And one of my favorite chapters was close to the beginning when Sal Ju is kind of taking Vi around Black Spire Outpost and just visiting the shops and the market and the cantina in Docking Bay 7 and literally Vi ate like Andorian Tip Yip and I physically ate that when I was there. The different drinks at the cantina I drank. The Batuian Spira, the currency of Black Spire Outpost, I used that to pay for things. It's amazing the type of connections and and the interactiveness of the park and how much they make it feel real like it's insane it's literally insane the everything everything the the falcon you know they talk a little bit about like savis and we go to there and we get the crystals and you know go through the whole ritual and and uh the all the workers are talking about olga's rules everything just matches so perfectly and if you've read this book i highly recommend going to galaxy's edge one of the parks if you've been to the parks and haven't read the book read the book it makes it so much more enjoyable i'm definitely gonna reread before i go and just like reading the part where you find out that Archex is actually making all the like little wooden things and mm-hmm. he talks about making the convoy and that was like the one thing I asked you to pick up for me I was just like radiating with happiness when I yeah. heard that part it was a lucky guess <laughs> yeah that was so awesome and the like all of the shops like the I think they call it like grain popping or something like that it's like a popcorn place and then the Toydarian toys and um, the creature stall and the droid depot. Like, they go into a lot of details about all that stuff in this book. And, and going there and seeing everything is just, it's just so cool. I thought it was really interesting, the insight we get on, like, First Order brainwashing, kind of, from Archex. Yes. Because, like, Finn talks about it, like, the smallest, smallest one-sentence bit, and we just kind of move on. But, like, Archex, really, we get to hear him, like, explain, like, they're literally whispering slogans and propaganda and lies, like, into their ears while they sleep. Well, and they've (laughs) got them, like, hooked up to all kinds of drugs all day long. These guys are hopped up on speed 24-7. Yeah, it's in the water, it's in the food, it's just, they're just... like it makes you feel for those people and it like gives you a little bit of hope I feel like but just like they're like and and it reminds you like they were brought up as kids it's Mm -hmm. been happening to these people since it was kids it's not like a full-grown adult that like decided to enlist like the empire this is like they're like stealing kids brainwashing them yeah and it really makes it seem like to me because we find out that the First Order does recruit orphans, and we know, I mean, I haven't read Phasma, so I don't know if there's any more backstory on him and his childhood, but we do know that he was born on Jakku, which obviously plays a major role in Episode 7, so. Yeah, it's 
yeah, it's just it was just creepy to think about all of the all the things they said and told them and the way they explained it to them that everyone else is just like standing in the way of progress. Like Yeah. It's messed up. All right. Well, it was a fantastic book. Let's get Delilah on here and hear what she has to say about her experience creating the book and some of these great characters. Delilah S. Dawson, you're joining us here on Twin Sons Book Club Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to talk to you about your latest Star Wars contribution, and that is Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. And I had the privilege of going to um, Galaxy's Edge in Florida for the open, which was awesome. Um, right. Yeah, it's really cool. So what's it like walking through Black Spire Outpost in real life, knowing that you sort of were able to expand on a world that thousands of people are going to be able to visit for themselves? Uh, it's it's incredible and otherworldly. Um, I I tell people it's kind of like when uh, that day on Sesame Street when McBird had been telling them about the Snuffleupagus for years and everybody thought it was his imaginary friend and then one day everybody actually met Snuffleupagus and McBird was like I told you this thing was real. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, my my Snuffleupagus because I, I guess I've been uh, you know kind of living in that world for so long before anybody really knew what to expect. So it's, it's a real joy to walk through it and, and see these details that, you know, I, I read about in a dossier, you know, a year ago. Yeah. So you went there too, right? I mean, you went, you went to yeah, Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, it was the soft opening of the Disneyland Park. And then um, I was there for um, a week of media events before the, the opening of the Batu East. That's awesome. Did you end up buying anything from any of the markets or shops or anything? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so dangerous. There's so much stuff there. And then I also have like some minor regrets of, oh, I should have gotten this so-and-so. But I mean, the, the very first thing I bought was the puffer pig at the creature stall. <sighs> nice. Uh, so funny. Hold on. I got it. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Super cute. And he does this. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> I get a lot of joy out of him. Um, I have, I think, three Galaxy's Edge shirts. Um, I bought the carved convery at Zabaka's toy shop um, for obvious tied tied to the book reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely contributed to the Batu economy. What was the process like working with Disney and Lucasfilm and the Imagineers to create all the tie-ins that you had during this book? Like how many years back were you sitting on the secret? <laughs> Not very at all. Um, wow. I guess right before Phasma came out, or right before Phasma was printed, we got an email asking if um, they could take the main character and change her name to Vi Marathi and use her. Well, actually, her, her original name was Amaka Marathi. Okay. Um, and they asked if they could call her Vi Marathi and use her in the parks. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, do whatever you like. Um, like anybody would ever say no to that. Um, oh so gosh. after that, we kind of knew that she was in other people's hands. But when the opportunity came to write another book about her, um, I was so excited. Uh, we actually didn't know she was going to be kind of the main star of Black Spire um, until, uh, I guess, Galaxy's Edge, um, I think maybe 2018, I can't remember, but there was like there was a card that they would give you that said, like, you know, Vi Marathi fights the First Order, and there was a little picture of her kind of looking like Barbie, and we were like, oh my gosh, she does what now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I had no idea she was going to be such a big deal or that you would be able to just walk up and speak to her. Oh my gosh, so that's like seeing your baby come to life pretty much. It is my 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 big dangerous uh, traumatized baby with the big closet of wigs and uh, you know 
twin tactical batons. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I actually met up with her. Like, you know, she's roaming the park, like you said, and I saw her a few times. And I was like, hey, can I get a picture? She's like, well, you're not going to share this with the First Order, are you? And, like, kind of drug me away from the crowd and into, like, a like a corner area to get a picture. So, they, I mean, they, they do a fantastic job making, like, staying in character and making it seem like legit you're on Batuu. Yeah, no, the, I, I've met several Vi's, and they are such wonderful, brilliant, strong, talented women, and, and I love the videos. Never people tag me on Twitter with a Vi video or picture. I go ahead and retweet it because it's so cool. But I, I saw one recently where she was like, they were like, are you my Marauder? And she's like, come on now. I'm a spy. Walk with me. Talk with me. Yeah. corner. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Was it your idea to make sure that each shop food item and drink was mentioned in the book, or did they give you certain um, things that you were supposed to write in? Nope, there was there was no supposed to. I'm the kind of person that loves that familiarity. Like, I love the thought of reading about it in the book, hearing the characters liking it, and then trying it myself. So actually, I had to take some out because they're like, "This is reading a little bit too much, like a travelogue." And I was like, "I know, it's awesome." They're like, "No, no, 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 it's reading too <laughs> much like that." So I did take some out, um, but I mean, I, I love that aspect of it. We've seen that in classic. Star Wars, we're like, oh, well, I'll have the Corellian wine, but, like, you never get to try the Corellian wine, and here you really can try the Tawny Ray White, like, I really enjoy that aspect of it, um, my only sadness is I, I can't eat gluten, so mm. I could not actually eat at Ronto Roasters Oh, no! Like, so I, I have I have not been able to taste uh, the Ronto Roasters that my characters ate so much Oh, man, That's you're missing fun. out I get to eat a whole bunch of Katzaka's <laughs> grains because Waba the Pig likes those grains a lot and, and I can eat those, so that's yeah. Those uh those Ronto wraps, man. Every day I was there for like four days, and every day Ronto wrap in the morning. For they had like a breakfast one, and then one, uh, you know, for like everyday meals. Those were those were so good. Oh, uh, they smell good. <laughs> so was it just by chance that at the end of Phasma you had both Vi and Cardinal make it through the end that they got to be used again in the in this book because it, you said right that that you didn't realize until after it was about to be published well even then we didn't know um we didn't know the black spire as a book was going to exist um so we we knew by would be in this world um but we had no idea what they would want to do with cardinal if anything um so yeah we we didn't know until the request for this book came down um that we would be able to revisit both of them and that we would get to, um, you know, play a part in explaining why Vi comes down to Black Spire in the in the first place, where it's kind of a, a prequel for the the park. Um, that was that was a really great surprise and a gift to get to do that. And then, then to bring Cardinal as well was just, um, I feel like it it really gave the book a, a depth that you you know it's sometimes it's hard to reach that kind of a depth of um, feelings uh, in a Star Wars book when you you know if you have you know like. 10 people doing 10 things on 10 planets, but here, you know, there was an intimacy to it that was, was really enjoyable and making it um, so much more than just kind of a park travelogue, you know? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of themes and stuff in these books, um, you know, Phasma and Black Spire. And we talk a lot about these in our book club. We have a book club that we do. And, you know, whether it be overcoming trauma, standing up for what's right, never giving up, um, Vi and Archex both are excellent examples of heroes and how to overcome that. So tell us a little bit about like what it was like creating the characters who were able to overcome these obstacles. 
Well, these two characters came into talks very early on when we were outlining Phasma. We we knew we wanted to tell Phasma's story as kind of a 1001 Nights story where you hear tales of her versus ever really getting into her head very much. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that's that's part of Phasma's character. Nobody gets in her head. Right. Um, so we are coming up with the, the character of Bi. We knew we wanted a resistance Bi, um, but I really wanted to do a lady spy that was kind of like the female answer to Poe Dameron, where she's... Um, quick on her feet and sarcastic and funny, um, but she doesn't really have his kind of mutinous, rebellious streak. She has a more kind of mother hen, responsibility, take care of things streak. Um, so that's how, how Vi came to pass. And then when we were trying to figure out Cardinal, we needed to come up with a foil for Phasma in the First Order. And at first, you know, we started thinking, um, you know, who's bigger and badder and meaner than Phasma? And the answer was like, nobody, go in a different direction. Um, so Cardinal is the answer of a person in the First Order who truly believes in it. He is a good egg, a good man who firmly believes he is helping save the universe. Because there have to be people like that in the First Order. They can't all be, you know, greasy little hucks weasels. Um, <laughs> but there are people that have been, you know, rescued from dying planets and given their first full belly full of food and a safe place to sleep. And, you know, yes, they're being propagandized and, uh, you know, chemically um, influenced by the First Order, but Cardinal straight up believes in it and is a good guy. And, of course, at the end of Phasma, he's still a good guy, but he has completely had all of his beliefs shattered. Uh, And then in this book, when we picked up with it, um, the logical answer was, what do you do when your life's purpose has been revealed to be a sham and you have to find something new to do with your life? And so that's where Cardinal is coming from, not only emotionally, but Phasma has pretty much wrecked him. He was um, a powerful, strong, well-trained man in the prime of his life, and uh, now he has these wounds that won't heal because even Star Wars, you know, medicine can't heal everything, and his wounds uh, won't heal. So he is in just constant pain emotionally and physically, which is, um, I think, where we see the heart of the hero in both he and Bai is that even when things seem impossible, even when they are... Uh, in a lot of personal pain themselves, they believe in the in the and you know the resistance or doing doing what's right well enough to keep going. What was it like um, elaborating on the relationship between Vi and Archex and trying to grow the abuser and the abused into a team? Because that had to be, I mean, a tremendous feat to kind of weave that story. Sure. So that um, kind of came out of a personal experience. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was an alcoholic um, and abu- an abusive one. Um, when mm-hmm. I was 18, I, I walked out of the house and left, and uh, my mom went with me, and we were separated from him for a while. And in order to come back, we said, you have to quit drinking forever. Like, you, you can't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. And miraculously, he was able to do that. He never had another drink after 1995. Um, and so I he, we moved back home with him, and I basically had to... Um, re-enter a life with a person who had abused me all my life who was now chemically a, a different person. Um, he wasn't necessarily a, a good man or a great dad after that. Um, and maybe, and and at the time, and even in retrospect, I didn't want to go back. I didn't think that that was ever going to be, a, you know, a healing case for us. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was had a relationship with him uh, as an adult. Um, I really enjoyed watching him with my children. Um he was a great grandfather, but he, he functionally became a different person after that. But at the same time, I, I never quite trusted him. So I was definitely pulling on some 
personal feelings of that around what it takes to prove to someone, uh, you know, that, that you've changed and you want to heal and, and to work together. Yeah, I think that the way that this story was written was a great expansive on your atypical hero's journey because you're actually addressing these traumas and showing that they don't just disappear. They are yeah, still like present. We don't see that enough in the Star Wars universe. We see these people, I mean, these are um, veterans in an active war mm-hmm. uh, who, by all means, would have trauma that most likely these med droids can't fix. Um, especially while they're still embroiled in the trauma. They don't even get, you know, in in all the Star Wars movies, no one gets any space to heal. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet we just see them kind of keep going and keep going. And we see, you know, sadness in Leia's eyes or whatever. But I'm someone who lives with trauma, and it's something that no matter how much you apply yourself, it doesn't always heal. Um, I also found it really enlightening watching uh, Skyfall and seeing James Bond for the first time where he takes off his jacket and we see all of his scars we see all the pills he has to pop to keep going, how much he has to drink to be James Bond. And you're, finally, you're like, finally, like, I've seen this guy get beat up for 30 years. <laughs> you, know, me, you know, um, on these different chemicals and medicines to help him. So, yeah, this book was, I was hoping to kind of realistically um, show the trauma that these people would be working through um, while not letting it become an issues book or that would, would, you know, bog it down too much or make it too much of a downer, but just show that, you know, if you see these people working, it doesn't mean that they're in perfect physical and emotional health because most of us aren't. We are all just doing the best we can. I think you totally nailed it. I mean, those themes were present throughout the entire book um, as we read along and in our discussions on our group page. Yeah. I think this book really does a fantastic job at one, making me laugh. You're hilarious. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I literally burst out laughing multiple times throughout this, this entire thing. Um, well, I think we needed that to balance out the, the trauma part, right. you know, like <laughs> the Brooklyn Nine-Nine part to, you know, kind of even it out. Yeah. Pook, his just, like, random quippy comments about humans and everything is just hilarious. So we did, we did want to open this up a little bit to uh, some of our social media followers and, and people that um, are in the book club. So we did open it up for some questions from them. So uh, Jesse, do you want to ask a few questions? Yeah. So one of our members named Jesse also, um, <laughs> he was saying that the vivid descriptions of the Rebel base when Vi goes in there and the various ancient traps and the crystal pools and the room of broken pots, he's wondering if that is going to be the cue for the rise of resistance. Um, And he was wondering if they showed you concept arts of potentially, if it is ending up to be the line for this ride, if you got to see a lot of concept arts for different things around the park as you were illustrating and you know, describing all these different areas of the park. And he says that it's kind of genius if it was the line because you could tell kids not to mess with stuff because there could still be traps and because of the anemones in the pools being poisonous. Um, Yeah, he was just wondering if that is going to be incorporated into that ride for Rise of Resistance. Yeah, so I was given kind of a, and I know um, Zoraida Cordova, who wrote A Crash of Fate, received the same dossier I did. It was like a 170-page PDF with no ability to search through it. So we went through that a lot. Um, And it had a lot of different artwork um, and a lot of words. But when it came to uh, that scene where Vi is cleaning out the caves, I was given a kind of like walkthrough description of the rooms that you would see in the Rise of the Resistance ride. 
Um, I don't know how much of that is still accurate because there are definitely things in that document that I put into the book that have changed. Um, and I wanted to see the, the line, but they only um, let us see a very small part of the ride, which was heckin' impressive. Um, but yeah, I, if, if it follows what I was given, it should be very accurate. If it goes off, um, off the, you know, if it goes off the rails, um, then I'm sure the Imagineers know best, and they're, you know, they're they're maximizing everybody's happiness. But hopefully, you will get to see some of those rooms because I definitely was describing what was given to me. Um, but that would be like I'm very excited to see that as well myself. Yeah, those parts were awesome. It definitely gave me like an Indiana Jones vibe the whole time we were going through all was, those rooms. I was trying to like, personally, it was my idea to make it, you know, like, oh, there are traps, maybe don't touch stuff just because, um, you know, I've, I'm a big world file. I love Disney and I've seen people like trying to like pluck jewels out of the seven dwarfs mind tree. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Like, I've definitely yeah. seen people remove jewels from the floor in the Aladdin ride, so I definitely was putting in a like, don't mess up this beautiful thing or you'll be punished for your greed. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. We also have Caroline who asks, I would love to learn about the creative process with the Disney Imagineers. How much freedom did she have? What did they push her to include? Any Easter eggs in the park that we should look for? Oh man, so many Easter eggs. Um <laughs> We, we keep the, the entire process of working together kind of shrouded in secrecy, but I was given a lot more freedom than you would probably expect. Um, I was, because there were so many people working um, in the world at the time, it was me, Zoraida Cordova on Crash of Fate, and then Ethan Sachs and Will Sliney were working on the comic. So rather than have like all three of us do like a Doc Ondar heavy story, they said to me, oh, you know, the comic's using a lot of Docs, it'd be very light on Doc, but you can, you know, really flesh out Oga as a character that you can take and really enjoy. Um, I also got to, I think, introduce Savvy for the first time. So they kind of, you know, broadly mentioned, you know, touch on this, don't touch on this. Or in the edits, they'd say, okay, you know, we need to cut this because someone else has already covered it. Um, but the Easter eggs, yeah, man, um, I got to go to the Disneyland soft opening. Uh, and then I was given, I think I had like six days with my final edit to kind of add anything, subtract anything, fix anything. So I tried to put in a lot of Easter eggs and things you would see. Um, so like I said, the, the wooden convoys and frog dogs at Zabaka's toy shop play into the book. Um, so if you, if you want to know where those come from, you can read the book and see who made them. Um, I got to talk about Mubo and the Droid Depot. Um, Mubo is the Utai who runs the Droid Depot. You don't see him in the park, um, but he's a super fun character. He's super cute. I like him a lot. Uh, and so at one point, uh, Creaky, who's one of our characters, interrogates a K2 droid at Mubo's droid shop. So in the droid depot, you can go see that K2 unit. Um, then there's things like uh, we, when we meet Oga, Gara, the you know kind of head gangster, um, she is having an altercation with her Wookiee boyfriend, Doran, and that takes <laughs> place right outside uh, Oga's cantina. So you can like look for the place where that happened. But there's lots of little things um, like that little little things that you might pick up that I covered in the book. And then there were also things that I read the description of in the book, and then I described it myself. And then when I saw it in real life, I was like, oh, man, we got that wrong. That was a bad game of telephone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, in Duck on Dar's Den of Antiqu Antiquities, there is, like, a big kind of... It's not really a chandelier, but there is a, a big metal hanging overhead, and then there are Ithorian wind chimes hanging from it. And the way they described it and the way I described it was, like, totally wrong, so I'm really glad I got to rewrite that. Or people would have walked in and been like, what was she even talking about? <laughs> or say, um, when you walk into Doc Ondar's, I described some of the things that they, like, they mentioned, like, you know, five things in their text 
that were in the shop. So I named them. And then when I went there, I was like, those things are not what stand out to you. Like one of them was an, an Ewok ceremonial headdress. And you walk in and it looks like a dirty rag because it's like 30 feet away up in the ceiling. But then your eye goes straight to the Kalish mask. Yeah. You know, so it's, it was definitely like walking in and seeing what my eye naturally went to versus the things they named in the document, I feel like hopefully helped me give you more of a real experience of what you would, what your eye would go to when you walked in. You did a fantastic job because even I was waiting in line for the cantina one day and, um, you know, the employee, the local there was like, yeah, you got to follow Oga's rules. You know what she did to her boyfriend, the Wookiee? You don't want to know. Bad things happen to him right over there and was pointing. So, yeah. they, you know, they keep the story going. So, That's awesome. um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic job. We're out of time, though. Um, Delilah Dawson, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate everything that you do for Star Wars and uh, taking the time out of your day to join us here on Twin Sons. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks to your readers for reading and for the questions. I Bright Sons to everybody, and hope you all enjoy the, the park and the book. To the spire. To the spire. Okay, so it was fantastic talking to Delilah. I mean... Her writing style just made me laugh so much. This is the first book I've read of hers, and uh, I think it's going to spark me to read Phasma and some of the other books that she's got coming out. She just did the uh, Skywalker Saga book that's uh, released this week, so head out to the stores and pick that up. It kind of has a recap of everything that we've got so far with some amazing artwork, so definitely check that out, but uh, fantastic time talking to Delilah Dawson. All right, so that will pretty much do it on this episode for the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club. And uh, that was September. So we've got our book for October lined up. And Amanda, what are we doing? We are doing Star Wars Dooku Jedi Lost by Kevin Scott. And this book is going to be released on October 1st which is a Tuesday, uh, so we will be jumping right in at the beginning of October, so the first day it's released will be the first day of our uh, discussions uh, and, and reading on Dooku Jedi Lost, and um, we did get this book in at my store, and I did take a look through it, so what's interesting about this, uh, I'm sure many of you know that this was a audiobook first, uh, it was written as an audiobook and for an audiobook. Like if you look at uh, the the cover, it says script by Kevin Scott, not like written or author Kevin Scott or whatever. It says script by it. So you flip through the pages, it is literally written like a play. Like it it has like Dooku colon and then what Dooku says and then a couple spaces down it has like commentator. Like it's not written like an actual book. Um, which I thought was pretty interesting. So it's it's definitely going to be something new for me uh, because I've never read, at least not actually read, a <laughs> um, uh, like a play before. You know, like in school you kind of had to, but it was like okay, spark notes. Um, but I never <laughs> I never actually read a play like that before. So I think this will be kind of interesting. I'm pretty stoked for this book because Ventress is on the cover and I love her. <laughs> yeah. So very excited about that. Definitely pick that up and contribute to our book club discussions. Uh, Jesse, if someone wants to participate in our discussions or find us on social media, like what are the best places for them to do that? So the best place to participate in our book club would be on Facebook. We have a open group that we make um, frequent posts in. I'm 
Amanda posts discussion questions every week for every group of chapters. So if you want to get involved and participate in our weekly discussions for the book of the month, I would definitely head there. It's called TSO Book Club. And then if you would like to participate in any of our other social medias, we are all on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under the handle at Twin Sons Outpost. All right. And we do a lot of really cool things in our book club. We actually just had our first ever Twin Sons Outpost book club meetup uh, with some of the local people. So if you are local, we are in uh, the northern uh, Northern Illinois area, um, and we do meetups. Uh, so if you are in the area and want to participate in one of our meetups to discuss the book uh, with us, we would love to have you there as well. But yeah, we're we're doing some pretty exciting stuff, and uh, who knows, maybe come celebration, we'll we'll have some special swag for the book club or something. If you want to follow Delilah Dawson, she is on Twitter. She is at Delilah S Dawson, and uh, she posts a lot of really cool things and and is very uh, responsive to to uh, fans and and uh, interactive and stuff like that too. So uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure she'll post a lot of her her new um, books and new content uh, on and her Twitter. And stuff about her dog. <laughs> it's amazing. Seriously, yeah. even if you don't go to look at the stuff for the books, look at her com or her tweets about her dog because it makes <laughs> my day every day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club. We'll see you back in October for Dooku Jedi Lost. And then we are going to be beginning hardcore doing the journey to the rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, I'm very excited about that in November and December leading up to Episode 9. So we'll see you next time and may the Force be with you. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Sons Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. Hellmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the Hutt. Point on how to win. This time you are mother to me, I think.